This morning, I want us to continue with our series, this is part three, on walk this way. Walk this way. I want this to be the biblical expectation of a Christian's walk. What does the Bible say? What are the biblical expectations of a believer's walk? What are the obligations of a believer in Christ Jesus concerning their walk? What are the responsibilities of a believer as they walk before the Lord? I can tell you this, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes into your life, when you are placed into Him, there is a change that takes place. In church, body of Christ, that change should be obvious. There needs to be a difference in our attitude, in our conduct, once by faith we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we go, and we're going to be talking a little bit more about this here in a few moments, we go from being in the old man to being in the new man. And how important it is that we see those distinctions, that we walk in His way. Walk this way. You remember that old acronym for Bible, which is basic instruction before leaving earth? Well, that's a good way to remember that. Basic instruction before leaving earth. That's what this book is. That's the reason we stress this book to such an extent, is we need to know what God's Word tells us in order that we might walk in His way. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. The word vocation there has to do with your calling. That you walk worthy of that calling wherewith you've been called. That calling, according to Ephesians 1.18 is an heir of God, a joint heir of Christ. You are to walk like an heir of God, as someone who has inherited all the heavenly blessings that God has bestowed upon you, that you walk worthy of that vocation wherewith you are called. You have a responsibility, according to the Scriptures, to live that way. You have an obligation, according to the Scriptures, to live in such a way that the world can see a difference in your life. That's just the way it is. I remember the old, old story. I mean, I know it's old because it has to do with Alexander the Great. Uh, so that makes it really old. Uh, and I don't know if it's true or not, but boy, it makes a great sermon illustration. So here goes. Alexander the Great, when he was out and about conquering the world, He was out walking one night, and he walked up against a young sentinel that was supposed to be keeping guard, and this young man had fallen asleep at his post. And Alexander the Great, I don't don't know if he gave himself that name or what, but anyway, Alexander, 
And he goes up and he kicks the, the kid and he wakes him up and the kid is startled and he jumps up and, and he comes to attention. And Alexander asks him, Son, what is your name? And he says, Alexander, sir. And Alexander told him, Son, either change your conduct or change your name. Now, that's kind of what we're talking about here this morning. Except I'm hoping, I'm praying, that if you've been purchased by the precious blood of Christ, if you are a new creation, then you, you understand your conduct, how you live your life is absolutely important. Matter of fact, look at Colossians. As a matter of fact, somebody told me recently that I say as a matter of fact a lot. So, as a matter of fact, I do, I guess. But look at Colossians chapter 1, starting with verse 9. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will. And we've already talked about that on multiple occasions. The way you know the will of God is you know God's Word. In all wisdom and in spiritual understanding. Look at verse 10. That you might walk worthy of of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Walk this way. Boy, that verse pretty much expresses that, doesn't it? That you might walk worthy. We just talked about that. Worthy, understanding you are an heir of God. You are a child of the King. You have a responsibility how you walk as somebody that's been made a new creation unto all pleasing. Now, we stress vehemently here at St. Louis Bible Fellowship, maybe vehemently is not the right word, fervently here at St. Louis Bible Fellowship, that our salvation is by God's grace. It's not through works of any kind. It's not by works of righteousness that we've done, but by His mercy, He saves us. And so we preach and teach that salvation is absolutely 100% by God's grace through faith, and it's not of yourselves. We stress that, that there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. You can't work for it. it, it there are absolutely nothing that you can do to gain God's favor except for believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. But once that issue settled, you know that same verse, that same Ephesians 2 that says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. What does it then tell us? For we are His workmanship created under good works. No, our salvation has nothing to do with our works, it has nothing to do with our deeds, it's all by God's grace. But I want to tell you something. Once you've become a child of God, once you are walking in the newness of life, there are works, not because we have to, 
but because we want to. We are created unto good works. What a glorious salvation. What a wonderful plan of salvation. The fact that God would even allow us to be part of that message of redemption. Because faith comes by hearing, and nobody's going to believe unless they hear the gospel. So how are they going to hear the gospel unless we share it? They're not going to hear it from angels. They're not going to hear it from anyone else. We are the ones that share. God allows us to be part of that. What an honor. What a, what a glorious opportunity we have to represent Christ. We are created unto good works. We are His ambassadors. There are responsibilities that we have now that we have been redeemed to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Our salvation is not by works at all. As a matter of fact, if I were addressing a group of people had gathered here and everybody here was lost, everybody here was lost, I would preach to them in an entirely different manner than I would preach to you guys all coming in and preaching to the saved, preaching to those who are believers in the Lord Jesus, the message would be entirely different. For those that were unbelievers, I'd make sure they'd heard the gospel, they knew exactly what they needed to do to be saved. But to believers, you talk about those expectations, not to please God. As a matter of fact, I, I, I take that back, because Colossians 1.10 says, unto all pleasing, unto all pleasing, you know how you please God? Hebrews 11.6 tells us how to please God. That without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you want to please God? You demonstrate faith. You trust Him. That's how you please God. Uh, Ephesians, look at Ephesians. Go back to Ephesians. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Stay in Colossians. Look at Colossians 2, verse 6. Verse 10 says, you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Drop down to two, uh, chapter 2, verse 6. As you therefore receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in Him. How did you receive Him? By faith. By faith. Well, you didn't do any work, but you received Him by faith. That's how you receive it. That's how we walk in the newness of life. That's how we walk to please God in faith, trusting in Him throughout our daily lives. Walk this way. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. Ephesians 5, 8 it's for says, for you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Not in the light. I think that's interesting. But you are light. Now that the Lord Jesus lives inside you, for you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, 
proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. To reprove them means to expose them, to shine that light on them. It has to do with bring about uh, exposure. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. We are children of the light. What a contrast. What a contrast that is those that are outside of Christ. Those who the Bible calls the children of disobedience or the children of wrath. What a contrast that is. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 1 tells us that we were dead in sin and we walked according, or verse 2, where in times past we were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 2, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. See, that's being descriptive of those who do not have the Lord Jesus as their Savior. Now you're children of light if by faith you've trusted Him. Which would you rather be? A child of God, a children of the light, or children of the darkness? I'm hoping I know what your answer would be on that. Dead in sin, walking according to the course of this world, according to to the prince and power of the air. Who's the prince and power of the air, by the way? Satan is. Satan is the prince and power of the air. What the book of Ephesians does is it brings it down to that spiritual warfare that is absolutely going on around us this very moment. And we need to understand that we're in the middle of a spiritual warfare. 2 Corinthians, we mentioned this last week. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, chapter 4, get ahead of myself. Second Corinthians chapter 4, start with verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, I believe this is Satan. Satan is the God of this world. So when people ask me, well, why do so many bad things happen? If God was a God of love, why does God allow all these things to happen? Well, first of all, I need, you need to understand the curse is upon the earth. And so just by the natural condition of the earth, things are going to happen because of the curse. But when you stop and you think of who the God of this world is, should it surprise us? Should it surprise us? in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Why does he do that? Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You talk about power, you talk about might. And by the way, if Satan could convince a third of the angels of God to follow him in the rebellion... 
What makes us think that we can do battle against him without the whole armor of God? I've got news for you. We can't. He is the God of this world. And it, it, Faye and I were talking about this this week as we were driving home from, uh, from Kansas and visiting the kids. I'm getting old, or they're getting more energetic. I don't know which it is, but anyway. But if we were driving home. Have you ever heard people that say they're mad at God? They're just mad at God because he's caused this in their life or this in their life and things aren't going their way and they just hate him and they reject him because of all of these things that take place. Well, first of all, I believe who they're really talking about is the God of this world. And they're blaming the wrong God. But if it were the God we serve, do you really want to make him any matter? If, if, if God is the one that's caused certain things to happen in your life and you are suffering and you are blaming the true God of heaven and you think he caused it, I think you'd want to be doing everything to appease him, not shaking your fist at him and saying, I blame you. I, I, I think I would be a little more on my face before him, humbling myself. Except, I believe the God of this world has blinded those that believe not. But verse 6 says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Remember back in Genesis 1.1? In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was out without form and void and darkness upon the face of the earth. Verse 2 says God did what? He spoke light into existence. If God can shine, cause light to shine out of darkness, He has shined in our hearts. Be thankful for that. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why it's imperative that we share the gospel because according to Romans 1.16, it is the power of God unto salvation. What I say is not going to convince anybody of anything. What I may do is not going to convince anybody of anything when it comes to their sin and their needs. But I'll tell you this, when you share the gospel, it is the Holy Spirit that goes to work and He works in their lives to convict and to draw them to him, Himself. It is the gospel. It is the fact that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. That's the thing that people who are under conviction need to hear so that they might believe. Trust, trust God. What a contrast between the work that the God of this world does and the work, the redeeming work that the true God of heaven is willing to and able to do in our lives. Scripture is very clear how we should walk. Not according to the course of this world because it leads to destruction. destruction. It leads to hell. It leads to harsh consequences, eternal consequences. 
Now, I understand. I understand that right now we are still in the flesh, right? And the flesh really, really enjoys being gratified. Enjoys being gratified. We need to understand that there is a war that rages between the flesh, your flesh, and your spirit. We need to understand how serious that war is. And in a believer's life, and I hope one of the reasons you come to church Sunday after Sunday is you can hear God's Word pronounced and proclaimed that helps you as you make that decision to serve the Lord Jesus, makes it easier as you live according to God's Word. I think staying home makes it easier for the flesh to rule the day. Ignoring God's Word. You know, and you talk to people that will come sometime and they'll go, I just can't get the victory over this. Well, what, what are you studying in your daily devotions? Oh, I've not been able to pick up the Bible in such a long time. Excuse me? What? And you wonder why there's no victory. See, understand this. It is the spirit that was dead that has been regenerated, that's been made alive. The flesh wars against that spirit. And what's going to happen to this flesh? One, one of two things. You're either going to die and it's going to go back to dust. Or the rapture is going to take place and you're going to get a new one. See, we need to see it clearly that the flesh really has a difficult time. There were a lot of amens just then. But we need to talk. Hey, I would be, amen, amen. The flesh battles against the spirit. But our minds are understanding the spirit is what has been regenerated. And there, according to the scripture, there needs to be a renewing of our minds that correspond with that renewing of the spirit, not the vanity of the mind. In the old man, it's the vanity of the mind. In the old man, it is contrary to the things of God. It wants to walk in the flesh. But God's Word tells us we're to walk in the Spirit. We're not to walk, as we studied last week, as the other Gentiles walked, in the vanity of their mind. We're to walk in the newness of our minds. Look at Romans 6. I love this portion of Scripture. Romans chapter 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin should not, that, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. 
That's what Galatians 2.20 is all about. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Right? But I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, we are to see ourselves as being crucified. Go, go back over to Ephesians. Actually, meant to take you there before I took you to Romans. So hold your finger at Romans because we're going to go back to Romans. But where we left off last week was in Ephesians 4, 22. That you put off concerning the former conversation of the former life. See, this is before you came to know Christ. When you were lost, when you were on your way to hell, when you were not saved. That you put off concerning the former life, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Understanding that there's been a change. Something has occurred in your life. That you've been made part of the body of Christ. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit into Christ, making you a new creation. That new creation contrasting the old man, that's the old creation. That's the old relationship that you had with Adam. And now you are to put on the new man, that new creation that changes your standing before God altogether. You see, that's what that's all about. You are to understand that you are to put off that old man. And it has to do with the renewing of your mind and getting serious and understanding that something glorious and wonderful has changed in your life. You are not the same anymore. Your spirit is alive unto God. You can now, praise be to God, understand His Word where before you couldn't. The Bible is spiritually discerned. The Bible is spiritually discerned. And if the Holy Spirit is not living inside you, you are not going to be able to fully understand God's Word. I think the only thing you can understand is that you're a sinner, that you're a lost, and you need the Lord Jesus. And by faith, you can trust that He will save you. And once He saves you, that Spirit is quickened. You're alive. You can start studying. But even that is no guarantee that you're going to be able to sit down and all of a sudden become a brilliant scholar of the Word of God. I wish it did work that way. In one time it did. Oh, by the way, but we won't even go in. It has to do with the gift of knowledge. Um, but that's passed away. Now you have to study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needs not uh, rightly, that need not be ashamed rightly dividing the Word of truth. See, that's that's God's way now. So be re verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That's, I thought Neil was about to preach my sermon a while ago. As he started talking about the righteousness of God and putting it on. I wasn't going to tell him to be quiet. I might say amen and keep preaching. But that... 
That change is now the true righteousness, the true holiness of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that God is in Christ reconciling the world into himself, verse 19, verse 21, and made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. That's what this verse here is talking about, that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. See, a Christian, a believer, just thinks differently. Are you better? You need to. There needs to be a difference. And that difference needs to be obvious, folks. Needs to be obvious. Not to say we're still not going to slip and stumble and, and, and all, because that's going to happen. The flesh and spirit are going to war. We need to put off the old man, put on the new man. And as I've said before, we do not have two natures. We only have one nature. That's the human nature. There's only been one who ever had two natures, and that was the Lord Jesus himself. He had a human nature. We have that. He had a divine nature. We don't have that. We have a human nature that has the flesh and the spirit, and they war. They go at it. And the only victory we're going to have is by feeding on that which nourishes the spirit and enables us to walk according to the spirit and not the flesh, and that is the word of God and communing with God. There is no other way to get around it. And that takes us back to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That old Adamic condition, that old Adamic nature, if you will, has been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2 says, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. Does he? Does he? Verse 7 in chapter 6 of Romans, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise, likewise. See, this tells me this is needs to be a decision on every believer's part. God did not make us robots. Yes, there's been a change. Yes, the Holy Spirit lives within us. Yes, our spirit has been quickened and made alive. Yes, there is power. Resurrection power that's active right now. That's what Paul is talking about in Philippians when he talks about that I might know him in the power of his resurrection. That's not referencing when we are resurrected, when we get to heaven. That has to do with right now. There is resurrection power. I'm going to tell you something. Whenever your pastor... Now I'm not even going to go there. 
If it were not for the cross, my sins would not be forgiven. If it weren't for the power of the empty tomb, sin would still have dominion over me and cause me to do things that weren't pleasing to God. But I need to realize, you need to realize, we need to realize that there is absolute power in the resurrection of Christ for victorious living in our lives right now. If you don't believe me, try it the next time you come under temptation to sin. Call out to the Lord. Let me tell you something that Satan does not want you to think about. He does not want you to think about the cross. He does not want you to think about the fact that the tomb is empty. If every time you are tempted, if you would just think about those two things, just make it really simple. I mean, simple for us. It wasn't simple for him. And after a while, I believe the God of this world, this prince and power of darkness, is going to quit haranguing you for a little bit. So what, you, you resist the devil and he'll do what? He'll flee. That's what God's Word says. But the flesh says, don't resist. Don't resist. The world says, if it feels good, do it. That's what the world says. And too many Christians like to go the way of the world. Where the way of God's word says, whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. God's word says the wages of sin is death. Sin, even for a saved individual, I think has consequences. Has consequences. They're paid for. They're under the blood. You're forgiven. You're going to heaven. You're in Christ. You stand perfect in him, righteous before God. But there are still consequences. It's amazing to me how Christians so often like to make excuses for the sin that goes on in their lives. And, and one, they talk about the two natures. Well, you know, I, I, I have the old nature and the new nature and the old nature just, well, you don't have two natures, just Get past that. Yes, you have the flesh. Yes, it wars against the spirit. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And we forget that sometimes. And we just like to go merrily skipping after the flesh because it feels good. It feels good. The flesh loves to be gratified. And the biggie. If I've heard this once, I've heard it twice. I don't know. I've heard it a lot of times. I've heard it a lot of times. They'll always take you to Romans chapter 7. The things I should do, I don't do. The things I shouldn't, I do. And okay, I'm excused. And Romans chapter 7 is all about Paul. Before he was alive, once without the law, he was a baby. The rest of that is talking about him being in Adam, not a saved man. His question at the end pretty much tells us 
Oh, wretched man that I am. He is, he is talking about the lost believer. He's talking about that person that's in Adam. The things I should do, I don't do. The things I shouldn't, I do. And that somehow gives us an excuse. Somehow gives us a green light to go against God's Word? Is that what Paul was saying? I think Paul, what he's describing there is the old man's condition and what it's like. Even in the old man, even in, in the flat in the soul, there are things that, yeah, I want to do, but I don't do. And yeah, it's, it's no excuse. It's no excuse. Back to Romans chapter 6, verse 11, real quick. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness. He's talking to saved individuals. He's talking to people who've been made new creations with the understanding that they're still in the flesh. And what he's saying to these people is don't yield your members, your instruments as members of unrighteousness. Don't live this way. You have the power. Remember, sin's not going to have dominion over you. That's what he's telling this church there at Rome. And they needed to hear it. We needed to hear it. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. That's what we're talking about when it's walk this way. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, says, Be ye angry and sin not. I'm just so glad that scripture is in here. That's one of my favorite scriptures. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. See, what that's talking about there is righteous indignation because down here just a little further, he's going to tell the believer, don't be angry. So what is he talking about here? Actually, this is a quote from Psalm 4.4. And, and it basically, Psalm 4.4 in the King James says, stand in awe and sin not. But the Septuagint there in, in Psalm 4.4, and with Septuagint being the Greek translation, uses the word tremble. And it has to do with righteous indignation. It has to do with seeing what's going on around you and not happy with it. Be ye angry and sin not. Understand that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. As a believer, we never have a right to wreak vengeance. I, I, another verse that I put alongside that uh, is Romans 12.8. that tells us that, that 
as much as lies in us, let us live peace, peaceful, peaceably with all men. As much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. Kind of gives us some wiggle room. Gives us a little bit of wiggle room there. Because I think it fits there to be angry, tremble, righteous indignation. Don't allow what the world is spewing and, and, and talking about and doing. Just cut it out. May it make you sick. May it make you tremble and not able to stand it. Because you know it goes against the precepts, the principles of Almighty God. And you've been made the righteousness of God in Him. You have that eternal security. You have that perfect standing before Him. And there's nothing you can do to taint that perfect standing, but it's all because of who He is, not because of you. So out of obligation... We should want to serve the Lord Jesus. Walk this way. Next week we're going to conclude this series as we talk about being imitators of God. Being imitators of God. King James used the word followers. Be ye therefore follower of God. What does that mean? How in the world could we be a follower? And the Greek is even more pronounced to be imitators. Can you really be an imitator of God? Well, we're going to talk about that next next Sunday. Because it is absolutely necessary to know what God's Word expects of you on a daily basis. Not that you can earn your salvation. No. But so that you can walk worthy. Let's pray. Father, come before you this morning. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for your word that teaches us, that tells us what it is. That we must do, first of all, to be saved. How important that is. And then what we must do in order to serve you faithfully as your ambassadors. Father, bless us this week as we go our separate ways here in a few moments. May you be glorified this week. Give us the opportunity to share the gospel. Give us the opportunity to tell our friends and our family and complete strangers what you mean to us. May we be faithful to share with them what you mean to us and what you've done for us. But more importantly, may we be faithful to tell them what you've done for them. Father, we pray all these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.